farming needs a facelift basically essentially and there it needs to be appreciated for what it is but then the other piece is like it's a lot of work and so there needs to be a financial incentive this is the real food real people podcast foodies connecting with farmers and figuring out how farmers can have a seat at the table again in sort of defining what is the cuisine of the Pacific Northwest. Last week, we got to know award-winning Seattle chef Nels Brisbane and his unexpected journey from sports to fine dining to reconnecting with his farm town roots in Linden, Washington, the same town that I grew up in, even though I hadn't gotten to know Nels until this podcast. This week, we're sharing the second half of that fascinating conversation I had with him, uh, where we get into, in the second half, into the vision, his vision for reconnecting people with farmers and reinvigorating both our regional cuisine and the farms that are growing food right here. If you missed last week, go ahead and listen to that conversation if you'd like to learn more about Nell's background. Thanks for coming along the journey again this week, and let's dive right back in where we left off last week. So you're involved in this world that's like culture and art mm -hmm. and you know very urban yet you grew up in a small podunk farming community yeah. it happens to be the same community <laughs> that i grew up in interestingly yeah. we didn't know each other no. um until now what was that like how did that speak into what you were doing and you know what did people even say when they found out oh you're from linden washington yeah. like what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, to for me, that very much roots why I cook and why I'm involved in food at all. Because um, <clears throat> it really does come back to how do we create a better food system? And, and, um, and part of that is like, for me, I, I always want to be able to give farmers options. Mm -hmm. And like one of my, one of my favorite farmers, <laughs> Dave Hedlund is in Skagit County and yeah. um, has a has a great vegetable farm. Grows fin his his tomato greenhouses are they should be the eighth wonder of the world. <laughs> They're incredible. If you ever <laughs> in Skagit, go go visit Dave Hedlund's farm. Um, but he always says is I'll butcher the quote, but it it was basically like if if you're a farm and you're selling to one person, then you're an employee, mm -hmm. and if you're selling to a hundred people, now you've got a business. You know, mm -hmm. and so. Farmers need to be able to, I mean, the worst thing of walking into a negotiation, whether that be, you know, especially when it's a buyer, is if they know you can't walk out, you know, and, and you know, negotiate that price any better because they're like, well, you know, that that product's going to spoil otherwise if you don't sell it to me yeah. at this really low price. And so that's not a good place to be. So so developing a system where where there truly is an economy around things and not just a path that's been traveled before. Um, that's a big problem in, in farming. Oh, it's a huge problem in farming. Different than most other economic arrangements. Yeah. If we say that, farmers are usually the ones with their back against the wall. Usually, yeah. They're if, price takers, as exactly. we hear said. And you experience that, you see that kind of from this other vantage point. Exactly, yeah. And if anyone gets the squeeze, um, 
it's usually the quote unquote like lowest person on the totem pole and for a farmer that it it's because they're the first person with the product that's why they're quote unquote like the lowest person on the totem pole is like mm-hmm. they um you know the chef doesn't want to pay that high price so they put the squeeze on their producer or onto their wholesaler the wholesaler needs to keep their margin so then they push that squeeze onto the farmer and so they by default have to take that lower price and if they got to um you know so we were really big on like working directly with farmers and, and you know buying um trying to work with them and it's 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 a headache but like mm-hmm. trying to figure out ways where you can be like okay grow all these carrots and we'll buy all of them like or or we'll do uh like what do you want to grow what what did you have a what did you make a fantastic margin on last year oh it was this random beet okay well like maybe we can come up with a great beet dish and move this product for you um and and actually having those conversations i mean what it what ends up happening is is like the complexity from a restaurant standpoint is again this was like a huge benefit that a place like canless could afford with time and money is allowing me to figure out all of those pieces and and the other sous chefs to like figure out this sourcing mayhem i mean we we had you know over 100 people that we would source from um from like farms and and figuring that out logistically is a nightmare and <laughs> took yeah. i mean a, a huge part of my job honestly was like it was cre- the creative part but it was like figuring out how do we get the best product through the front doors in a consistent way um and and most places they just need they just want to make one phone call and get the produce through the door which means yeah. they work with a wholesaler and that's why that business model exists but it puts the squeeze onto the farmers and and the restaurants lose that lose the face of like this mm. is a farmer that's trying to work hard to sell this product and and to me that's just like a shame and so trying to think of new ways to structure it so that again like these farmers can can have a face in the economy again <laughs> it's like I, just so that they can kind of compete again um and be understood is is ultimately how i kind of see a, a renegotiation of this of this food system so whether that be I mean, it's there's there's small farms that are starting to figure it out of like, okay, well, I'll sell at the farmer's market and I'll do a CSA and then I'll do some wholesale and all these different pieces. And if any one of those were to fail, the business wouldn't go under. Like, you know, if, if, but if Dairy Gold declared bankruptcy tomorrow, there would be a lot of farms that would not have anywhere to sell their milk. And that to right. me is like, well, that's an issue, right? Like yeah. they're, they're not, they're not, I mean, they own their own businesses. So they're taking all the risk but they only have one buyer. So they really don't have the reward of being an independent business owner on some level anymore yeah. because it's like they're dictated to. And so like- And like, we have something unique here, even like you mentioned, Dairy Gold being a farmer's cooperative. Yeah, right. Then in some other parts of the country where they, they don't, don't even have, have that. that. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah if anything, like Dairy Gold's the best model. And and, right. and so, because um, at least you've got a large group that, that can kind of create that advocacy, you know, right? But there's still that risk, that question. There's still mark. that risk of like, yeah. well, what's going to happen if that didn't work out? And it's like, well, you know, there's, it's going to take a lot to rebuild it. It's not going to happen in five or 10 or 20 years even. But, but like, there's the companies that are thinking about that. It's like, well, what if we made cheese? What if we, you know, made a new dairy product or, you know, whatever it is, um, rethinking about it and being like, well, this isn't less work, that's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. But but actually creating a face of like, oh well, this is. I mean, we, at 
it was a joke at the restaurant because I, I was obsessive with with dairy specifically as my um we we had five different milks that we kept in the restaurant mm -hmm. um based on what the usage was so we had a milk that we would use for steaming for coffee um and we had a different milk that we would use for our basically like milk focused sauces um so sauces that you actually were supposed to taste the milk it wasn't just like an ingredient mm -hmm. and then we would base and then we would have a milk for desserts and and each one was not just like you know a random you know dartboard we'll we'll buy from this farmer this week it was very thought out we had you know had brought in 25 plus milks i mean that it was a really unique experience to be able to even do that in the pacific northwest of like yeah. <laughs> there's actually 25 plus dairies that you can go out and buy uh, milk from and and you could taste the difference between each farm and you could you know the um you know we would people were blown away i think it was like my shan uh my shan up, uh, up in linden actually it yeah. was really close to where i used to um live and i actually didn't know i don't think they were an independent farm when i was living up there anyways but um or independent like as right. in as in you could buy their stuff wholesale but they've got like right. a guernsey um a guernsey farm and people had um had never really tasted that before and i don't know what their uh their process is but it's like their milk has a distinct like caramel note that mm. that you don't get from you know say like a cherry valley which is down here in king county and they would have um it, theirs was like super grassy mm. and so if you tried to make coffee with theirs it it tasted like you were licking and eating dirt <laughs> like a little bit while you were drinking your coffee. And so it wasn't so good for coffee, even though it was a fantastic milk, but then their milk was fantastic for coffee because it just mm. the carameliness really mashed and really high fat content, which is also perfect for coffee versus the the grassy one. If you're, if you're matching that with in a sauce that was going with beef, that grassiness and the fact that you were, you know, the ironiness, the dirtiness of it, quote unquote, like, um, it was perfect for me. And so right. it was like actually tasting those different pieces. And, but yeah, people always laughed about how much milk we had in the restaurant <laughs> and it was a bit of a nightmare. And the cooks would come to me and be like, chef, we're out of this type of milk. How, what, how am I supposed to make this sauce? Cause they like understood how different it tasted when you did these different sauces. And so it was, it was interesting. You grew up in a town surrounded by dairy farms like this. Yeah. Um, and berry farms and, berry, and yeah. potatoes and yep. everything else. What was your awareness of farming at that time yep. growing up? Like, were you around farming at all? Yeah. So uh, my best friend growing up was Rick Hearspank. Um, and so he's part of the Edeline Dairy yeah. uh, world. And so I spent um, uh, a good amount of time on his dairy, um, mm. you know, scraping and <laughs> scraping the lanes and everything yeah. else. And um and you know that was just and also just the idea of like oh it's a saturday evening or afternoon and you want to um you know go to the basketball game on saturday night and just like the pre like the uniform experience of everyone of basically be like well yeah i just have to finish my chores i've got it. like <laughs> you know just like having um high schoolers that would buy their own vehicles because they've been working yeah. since they were 12 years old or earlier you know they've been yeah. they've been getting paid since they were 12 years old yeah. is probably the best way to put it they've been working since they could walk um but just the the farming community and and the way that um 
you know, everyone, everyone is just like, it's a, it's a lifestyle more than anything. It's like, there's cows don't take days off. (laughs) They need to be milked every day. Uh, and, and just how, um, I remember, I mean, we had like hobby animals. My dad raised, he, I mean, he had a construction company, but, um, we had, he sold quarter horses on Mm. the, on the side. Um, and so at like one point we had up to like 18 quarter horses on the property. Um, and so, you know, and we always had, you know, more of the hobby animals, you know, the chickens for eggs and, and we would always get a couple of, uh, we would finish a a beef cow every year. And some of those other pieces where I was like, I'd been on enough farms and enough of like the, the horse farm, you know, that, that it's like, you get the ideas of farming. I don't, I won't claim to have been a farmer, like some of my peers were, but, but still just like the concept of, of getting pulled out of school because a fence broke and all of the animals are out and like you leave and you go and everyone in class is like, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Or, um, and then also just the idea of like middle of the night or early in the morning, or you've been working all day, but you have to finish this product or project because Mm -hmm. you have to finish it. Like it doesn't matter how long it takes or how long you're out there, like put your headlamp on and keep fencing because we can't not do it. Right. And and just like that mentality versus then, you know, working in basically less so in the restaurant, restaurants can kind of be similar to that, but even still you can be like, Oh, you got that on, you got that stock on late. Like it's not ready, but fine, just cool it down. We'll start it again in the morning. It's like, that's not an option in farming. You know, it's like you very, you know, there's farmers who will cut corn for days on end essentially because it's like a rain's coming and otherwise that is garbage if if that you know so that that mentality um of and it 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 like it creates this foundational work ethic um that is different and so um so while i don't like i said i won't claim to be a farmer but but that work ethic just kind of infuses life in the in linden and and i think is a valuable life lesson so (laughs) i know you've said in an article i read about you um that when you were at the bread lab working with farmers on developing things yeah that you it reminded you of working with people amongst the farming community or or being around that culture when you were growing up in linden yeah a county north yeah mind you um so how much does that influence then what you do yeah, it's huge. I mean, I think, like I said, like it's all, for me, the food system is built on the backs of farmers. And so, but I do sense that there's been this, um, especially, I mean, the the age of far, of farmers has, you know, I, I don't know the, the current statistic, but basically it's like there's, there's a whole generation that is getting older and is in their 60s and would love to retire soon, but they don't have anyone coming in under them. So there's the, you know, our generation, you know, in their twenties, thirties, forties, there's nobody that's farming, not nobody. There's a lot less people that are farming in those generations. And so, um, and I think part of that is just like, cause farming needs a facelift basically, essentially. And there, it needs to be appreciated for what it is. And then, um, but then, the other piece is like it's a lot of work and so there needs to be a financial incentive for how much work it is and so it's like you know nobody wants to be working 80 90 hours a week to 
make 50 grand right <laughs> it's right. like it's just not so it's like they're gonna go to other jobs and and eventually there's gonna be a reckoning with that and uh and so my hope is that by creating different avenues and different ways and and honestly like a different mentality around how people think about farmers um we may actually be able to get people interested in farming again mm. and, and it's like i mean most of my favorite people in working with the restaurant some of my most like you know nearest and dearest relationships from the restaurant were with farmers who i got to you know spend time with visit their farms you know they would come by once a week with their produce and you know you'd make them a cup of coffee and sit for two minutes and they could complain about the weather and it's like you know it's <laughs> that's <laughs> that's amazing and that's uh yeah that, that but they need to be a community that that has the spotlight shown on them a little bit more and, and but part of that is not just shining the spotlight on them, but actually giving them financial um, options and direction so that they could actually be like, oh, well, this is, you know, I could grow a whole bunch of this and sell it, or I could, you know, process it in a different way and, and you know, may work on ways to create that infrastructure because that's, you know, that infrastructure has been dropping for the mm -hmm. last 50 years. And how do we create, build up infrastructure so that it can support these small farms and, and, and ultimately they it's like people want to feel proud of what they're working on and so if they can see that people actually appreciate it then then it's like well then i think there'll be a re re um uh resurgence to farming in these younger generations so so you see that you see the future and the dark clouds over the future of farming and local farming you see that as a real threat to the system that you're involved with and even yeah. you know, the, the the food system the you know, restaurants, fine dining, all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. is threatened by what's threatening farming? I would say hugely, yeah. I mean, the farming community has, um, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on them. I mean, I, I want to, um, I've, I've heard this from a good source, but it was mm -hmm. like that, that like, um, like suicide in the farming community is higher than suicide in the veteran community, which is, has traditionally been the highest um, kind of group in, in the country. And, um and as well as like i mean there's been such consolidation of farming um and just kind of the the loss of of identity in that and and it i mean there's just pressures being put on those farmers where it's again they are getting the squeeze of the whole food system on top of them and everyone's trying to keep their margin and so then the only margin it can come out of is you know the the people who are actually producing the food who who have to accept that price and so um, I mean, it's hard because we live in a in a country where our food system is subsidized in so many ways that it's, you know, as a percentage of income, the U.S. doesn't spend very much on food. Mm -hmm. um, and so we don't spend much on food. So then we pay taxes that can then get <laughs> subsidized. So it's like we do yeah. spend a lot on food, but it's like it's not a realized cost yet. Um, and so it's it's not helping but, but those small farmers are not the ones receiving the subsidies. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so... Uh, well, and it's a system that really kind of wants its cake and to be able to eat it too. Yeah. To use one of my dad's favorite yeah. phrases because we want our food cheap, Yep. but we want it healthy. Yep. And we want it locally sourced and produced and grown uh -huh. on a small farm where people care and all this yeah, stuff. But yeah. at the same time, we want it available year round. Yep. And, and shelf stable and shelf stable <laughs> yeah. and we want it to be in beautiful packaging yeah. and all this and you know close to home all these things uh -huh. 
And, and I want it in five minutes. Lo- yeah. <laughs> and a lot of those pressures are what's pushed in some ways farms to get bigger or yeah. it to be tough for small family farms because they're forced to try to survive with yeah. those demands. Oh, Yet yeah. at the same time, that consumer is coming to them saying, Hey, why are you getting so big? Yeah. Why you're yeah. making money on this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You <laughs> Don't know, get me started on that. And, and you keep coming back to that. And I think that's so important, but it's something that people tend to balk at because they feel somehow there's this idea of the small farmer, you know, just making food and that's what they do. Yeah. And then very quickly, if it, if it's recognized that that farmer's making some money yeah. at that, then it's like, oh well, that's yeah, your sellout. <laughs> that's a sus, you know, yeah. that makes them suspect, right? Is that maybe part of what you think needs to happen when you talk about a facelift? Yeah, yeah, I think farming? I think it is. Like, I mean, figuring out ways. Well, people need to realize that, like, what is the farmer bringing to the table, and it's a our whole food system. But but have selling products that are directly recognized i think um so you know creating more individual self-identity and um and venturing out which is scary especially in linden (laughs) you know it's like there's uh or any small farming community yeah doing something different is is like because if you succeed then people are like well that it's like that can almost be there's like a danish term where it's like the tallest tulip gets cut (laughs) And so it's like, it's not yeah. even, sometimes even succeeding above the average is not even a good thing in those, you know, small communities. Cause it's like, well, you're not helping the community then, you know? Yeah. And so, but, but then it's, if you, if you try something and fail, then you don't want that. Cause you're like, oh, I should have just stuck with what I wanted to do. And and so like, I get that that is a, a real struggle and a real conversation, but there needs to be tools for people to start investigating that and, and this is another way that I think more, I mean, you, you totally, you made a perfect point of like what the customer demands and how many things the customer demands is like, yeah, so now you, you can't just produce a delicious vegetable anymore. You have to produce a delicious vegetable and have a well, um, like a good instagram feed and yeah. like it has to be in the right packaging <laughs> and, and i won't all. trust it unless it's marketed the yeah, way that i like exactly yeah. and so it's like but to me yes that's really hard because it just keeps kicking up that overhead mm-hmm. and making that a bigger and bigger slice of the pie but it also does create an opportunity for all of these you know non-farmers quote unquote who have grown up in the farm like you know if you grew up in linden and you love to draw and you went to art school and you feel like there's no place for you back in Linden now because you don't farm and you have no interest in farming, like, no, because all these farmers need to redo their packaging and rethink about that. And it's like, you know, a really talented, you know, graphic designer may be exactly what those farms need. And so it actually Mm. allows people to, you know, not just stay in Linden if you farm, sell equipment or repair equipment, (laughs) right? Like there's, there could actually be these, you can create it this own independent economy right there that actually supports all of these pieces. And, you know, there's, but that's hard, you know, there's no, there's no place for an independent graphic designer and, and label designer in Linden if there's only, you know, 10 independent farms. But if there's 50 independent farms, a hundred independent farms, like each one of those needs a new graphic every yeah. couple of years. And now you've got, now you've actually created a position for someone who, you know, quote unquote, didn't have any, 
place in Linden, right. or, you know, in the traditional economy. And so, so changing communities beyond just the traditional exactly. farming community. At the same time, you're talking about pushing the farming community into a place where some have gone, like you talked yeah. about Myshan, they're yeah, an example. Or or, 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 yeah, yeah, from our community yeah. that both yeah. you and I grew up in, yeah. examples. And they're across the state, people who've decided to go direct mm-hmm. and really embrace that and brand themselves. Yep. But really, that's not the lion's share of farms yet. No, not at all. And that's definitely not the comfort zone of a lion's share of farmers in the Very state. Much not. <laughs> but you're saying that's kind of what's needed? I mean, that's that's what I think is needed. Um, embracing the difference and, and not to say that that won't... I mean, I don't think you could... I don't know if every single farmer in Linden could be independent. I don't know. Maybe like in the, at the end of the day, people will still need bulk milk. Right. Um, Mm. and, but I think that there is, you know, a market for someone to do some value added products that, um, you know, like who's to say that Linden, you know, maybe it's one, one farmer starts, starts, you know, selling, um, a blue cheese or something like that, that, mm. that just goes wild and, you know, Danish blue or uh, Dutch blue or whatever yeah. you want to call it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, um, and all of a sudden they, there's such a demand that they require, you know, more milk from, from, but they can pay a little bit higher price because they, it's a premium product that they are getting that, that higher price for. And, and now all of a sudden they can create their own little cooperative that, you know, of, 10 dairies or 20 dairies that are all feeding into this this specialty milk and the or specialty cheese product and Mm -hmm. then you've got you know maybe a yogurt maker that kind of does the same thing and um and eventually you could you could create it an a a system where a farmer you know they're thinking they get to there's a plethora of co-ops that they could join essentially, or they could then totally go independent and launch like, okay, I want to go elbow to elbow with, you know, Twinbrook. And I think I can, you know, make a better product than them. And right. my eggnog recipe is twice as good as theirs. Right. <laughs> good old fashioned competition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and like actually support that. And so maybe it's not, you know, if there's a hundred dairy farms, we've got a hundred different cheeses coming out of Linden. Like maybe it's, that's not necessarily how it goes, but um, but there is room to create, especially like, I mean, Linden is, is adorable. It's like, it's a cool town. Right. And, and, mm. and the, like, honestly, the brand of Linden just isn't being like flexed. I mean, that's one small yeah. little, I mean, you could take that. And you can and say that about a lot of towns a lot of those around town, Yeah. Or like state. what Twin Sisters is doing in Ferndale, like that, mm-hmm. what they're doing is very cool. And you could potentially, I mean, you go to France and again, it's taken generations of commitment. Um, but you know, there's over a hundred different types of cheese, not only just like producers of cheese, but literally types of cheese, like in France. Mm -hmm. And you go to all these little different areas and each one is producing a different type. And, um, and to me, if you can create that brand of like, I mean, it's essentially what like got milk did of like, (laughs) you know, how do we getting people aware of the milk industry, but it's like, okay, we need to hyper-focus it though and be like, what is unique about this place? Like, let's embrace what we do differently. Let's embrace the fact that like, well, if we feed our cows a little bit differently, we can get a change in the finished cheese that makes us totally unique. And we actually know those, you know, we know the 10 farmers that produce our milk. And so we can get them all on a really regimented feed, you know, right. process. And, and, you know, it, it you can create these systems that, have a lot more flexibility and in the end give 
you know, if a farmer can sell to five different places and has those options, then they can actually shop around for the highest price, you know? <laughs> and if they're, yeah. And, and giving them the incentive to do things like something that otherwise may be yeah. a big financial risk, yeah. maybe a pain in the butt yeah. or require a lot of, you know, investment in right. infrastructure, whatever on the farms. Mm -hmm. Like, why am I going to do that if that's really not going to get me anything? Yeah. You're spinning your wheels to just get to the same place. But right? if there's a system that will reward that, yeah. and I think there's a lot of people who want to do that, but just feel like, I don't know where the reward is going right. to be exactly. in our system right now. Yeah. And that's the thing is you've got a lot of great business people in that area. I mean, basically if you own a business, you have to be you get a quick primer on, you know, on being, becoming a business person, right? And so, like, um, yeah, they're not going to do it if they don't see the payoff. So people, you know, working in the university where you have a lot of academics that are like, well, why don't the farmers just do this? And I'm like, because do you know how much equipment that would cost? And they're selling things and making literally, like, pennies per gallon. And once they pay for all their costs, and they're like, do you know how long it would take for them to pay off a million-dollar piece of equipment making pennies per gallon like you're talking generations of like there's yeah. no payoff for that or they could just you know keep making that money take the little bit of profit and put it in a put it in the stock market and it's going to grow faster than you yeah. know so it's like they're good business people mm -hmm. so they're not they're not going to be foolish with their money and so again and then when you pay off that piece of equipment too you're just gonna then, be like well you have to replace it <laughs> well, and also it's gonna be like well you're huge you look yeah, at this right. huge equipment that you have right, you're right. just a factory well no it's, yeah <laughs> we just had i don't know what do you think about the criticisms for farmers too i mean i'm yeah. sure you hear that a lot mm -hmm. in the urban community even in the foodie community and you know environmentally focused right world yeah and that disconnect of what it takes to actually make some of those things happen right yeah no that's a very interesting conversation i've had I, so um just as i've been moving to the more business development side of things um and realizing that there's a minimum size of profitability even like you know if you want to be a whiskey maker that you know and you want to spend a whole you know this whole time making whiskey and you just want to make like one barrel of whiskey a month you know at the end of the year you've got 12 barrels of whiskey and to make back all your costs and pay for your living wage. And it's like, you're going to have each bottle is going to be thousands of dollars, right? Like, and nobody's yeah. going to pay that. So it um, doesn't matter how good it is. It's, it's just not profitable. So you're going to have to build up a little bit. And so, um, but yes, there is this like romantic idea of how big a farmer is uh, the size wise. And, and I don't, I think the, yeah, people don't understand that, you need to be a certain size to even break even or be profitable, hopefully. And um, as far as changing the perception of that, I don't know. Um, <laughs> people need to, yeah, that people don't view farming as a business, which is a little bit sad. Why? Like, yeah, I don't Why know. is that? I don't know. Um, maybe because it was like subsistence farming used to be a thing, right? So it's like if you can cut down the, trees you need to build your house and grow the food you need to eat for a year then you're a farmer quote unquote but i'm like that's more of a settler <laughs> yeah and well and really if you're a subsistence farmer then everybody has to be a farmer yeah exactly exactly because you're just growing the food for yourself you're just growing food for yourself yeah so it's like realizing that um and again this probably feeds back into the problem of why we have less and less farmers is it's like we need more farmers so then, or maybe the farms we have can just produce more 
And so then less people have to farm. So then they produce a little bit more. So then less people farm. You know, it, it like feeds into itself. That's what I think we've been seeing. I think so. Yeah. Um, and, so and I think it gets worse then when people start to demonize that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And actually criticize the beast they've created, um, <laughs> which is interesting. Yeah. Um, it's like, if, yeah, if you want the farms to be smaller, you should go start farming. <laughs> yeah. It's maybe the answer. I don't know. What does it feel like to be at this place where you have this growing understanding of not just the science, not just the nutrition, not just the food and the art, but now looking at the business side of it and yeah. all these things coming together. That's kind of where you start talking about the word system. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, focusing on food systems is kind of the project that's the next phase um it kind of gets back to the how do we make a million of them question um i mean restaurants are so great because you have a small like you only have to feed 150 like in in canlis's case it's like we feed 150 people a night that's it um and if it's different from one night to the next they enjoy that they don't you don't get you know you don't yeah. get a, a slap on the wrist for that um and so it allows you to be very dynamic. Um, but on the downside, you're feeding only 150 people a night. And 150 people can't consume that much food. And so it's like you spend a lot of time, um, you know, so uh, like, you know, I spent all this time sourcing five different types of milk. And, but at the end of the day, I'm, you know, serving people these tiny little portions and telling them this huge elaborate story, which is super fun and great. It's like, I'm only buying a couple gallons a, a month or maybe a week, like may maybe yeah. three gallons a week, right? That is not going to substantiate, <laughs> like that's not going to help any farmer really on the mm. on their bottom line. Like, I mean, I'm sure they love the press. I'm sure they love the Instagram posts, but like ultimately they're running a business and they need to sell more than three gallons a week. And so, <laughs> um, and so that's, um, that made me realize like, okay, the next step, uh, is figuring out how to create um, a larger buyership essentially because I know that's something I can do is, is how do we how do we create a system that um, that can actually you know move product and and start to work on those those outlet things that I was you know mm -hmm. how do we how do we create those those products through great marketing and great you know having just really delicious products to start um, and how do we then take the burden off of farmers needing to um needing to take that that leap of faith and be like well, i mean what was how is a farmer going to produce you know the world's like next greatest cheese when it's like they have zero ex they're starting from zero just because they produce milk doesn't inherently mean they know how to make cheese right <laughs> like so there's a disconnect versus i'm like i i come from the food world like i know how to make cheese i know how to do make you know a delicious wheat product and um so one of my i've taken a huge amount of inspiration from um uh the head baker at grand central actually it's a local bakery here in the city um uh mel and she she's the the head baker there and has been doing it um for like over two decades and and has been working really hard i mean i think she's got it down to this point where she's only sourcing washington um flour and it's like that is taken 20 years of nonstop work. Mm. Um, and, and now she's not only getting it down to Washington flour, but she's getting it down to like individual 
like there's a farm out in Walla Walla, Smalls mm-hmm. Farm, that's doing a really, really incredible job with flour. And and he built a little mill and he's, you know, he he's a, a character and a half. And I always love, <laughs> he would come into the restaurant and he'd talk to you about, you know, why the flour is going to be a little different this year because he's, you know, it's coming from here, you know, and, yeah. and it's like she's working really hard to continue to narrow down. And, but she's also baking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of loaves per day um and they've got multiple cafes and so she actually represents a pretty big buyership like Mm. um and so she actually carries some weight in the flower and she in the flower world and she can go to different markets or she could approach a farmer and be like oh yeah plant i don't know 600 acres of wheat and i'll take it in the first quarter you know and it's like oh wow, that pencils out really nicely for me. And that's a great option. And, oh, here's a mill that we can get it milled at and cleaned at. And um, and so building more models like that, which again, like, yes, it's not the rustic bakery where he's producing 25 loaves a day. And like, that's really beautiful on Instagram stories and all those different pieces, but it, you're, you're not feeding people. It drives costs up um, and you just aren't, it helps one farmer maybe. Um, but it's like, if you really want to create these larger food systems, you have to be thinking about that next size up. And so she, Mel's done, a, she's she's my food hero and nice. she's done a really incredible job at Grand Central working on that. And to me, that level of thought and care needs to be put into every other area of, you know, so the dairy industry, the, the fishing industry, the meat industry, the, you know, vegetable growers, berry growers, they all need, um, you know, a Mel type person that can, actually dictate change and be and and support it financially on the backside and, and is willing to do that so so is that what's next for you i know you're That's working on next. a project yeah. that hasn't been launched isn't really public yet how <laughs> yeah. much can you share with uh, us right now well so I'll, I'll i mean so right now i'm working um with several companies doing like business development and product development so um it's all about <clears throat> And, and a couple of them are, are more of my babies than, than others. Yeah. Um, and, and will potentially take over, um, all of my work, but, but yeah, it's, it's all about leaning on, um, on how we can really move product, you know, and, and checking all those boxes that you talked about earlier. is like, um, it's like, how do we make something that's healthy for people and shelf stable and, um, produce locally and has nice packaging <laughs> and yeah. and actually is moved in a volume that you know we can go to farmers and make requests and and have them again perk up and be like oh you want that like nobody's ever asked me for that before let me do the numbers yeah that makes sense that works for me like let's do it and, and that's how you can move the needle and then all of a sudden you know um that's where the disconnect usually happens, right? Because farmers are yeah. like, hey, we can do this in quantity. And and consumers are like, well, but no, we want something that's more um, artisan or, yeah. you know, hands-on. And so farmers, why don't you do this? Farmers, this is what we want. And yeah. farmers are like, I can't afford to do that. Yeah. Or maybe I could, but I'm not sure if I can make the risk to, to switch to something like that. Right. So that's where that gap always seems to Where happen. that gap is, yeah. So um, one of the, yeah, and it's a huge disconnect. And- and that was like that was something we would come into conflict with at the restaurant um because even with i mean we even were willing to like finance things for for farmers like great let's buy all your seeds so that you can grow this specialty thing for us and Mm -hmm. you know figuring out ways to to play ball with them so that the risk wasn't all in their in their court but 
what people don't realize is like, I mean, farming is not a high margin industry. And so trying something new, you know, a small margin on a small number is not worth their time and headache and amount of effort to like, I mean, doing something new takes a lot of mental energy. And if they're, if it's not going to pay off, they're just going to stick to the bulk thing and as they should, because that's what makes sense. Um, and so, um, have you had to explain that to people who don't understand what, what do you say to people who are like, well, why don't farmers do um, X? Yeah, I would say I'm getting better at explaining it to people. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's, it's an uphill battle and part of it is people don't understand business well enough and to me that should be like that should be what high school is is like teaching <laughs> yeah. you business and probably mostly through like getting jobs <laughs> yeah. um but people that don't understand business is is probably the biggest disconnect and and they just think that you know these farmers are swimming in money or 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 honestly that business people are swimming in money like starting a business is just instantly makes you rich and it's like nothing's further from the truth <laughs> probably the my, my uncle has a saying he's like the fastest way to to make a million dollars is to start a five million dollar business <laughs> so <laughs> four million in the hole and you got one million left over so there you go you're a millionaire um and so, so true yeah and so um so there's there's that piece and and just trying to explain the economics of it um but but honestly like experience is kind of the only real teacher in that so encouraging people to be like great put some numbers on a page and, and like show me a business plan where what you want makes sense and there's no farmer that w if you have a business plan that makes sense wouldn't try it there's not no farmers but there's you know yeah. most of them are going to give it a shot um and they're they're going to be like well yeah if it, if it makes sense on paper it's good enough for me i'll give it a shot um so so that's trying to get people to actually wrestle with the problem of like you know even in their you know, trying to come up with analogies can help, but there's no real experience. <laughs> yeah. Like experience is the teacher of like, yeah. In this whole journey, what's been the most challenging, difficult, hard thing for you personally? Uh, I mean, <laughs> probably this thing that makes life hard, which is people, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and trying to, f you know, like the politics of all of it and figuring out, um, how to move things forward when there's a hundred reasons not to and it's like and asking you know trying to get groups to you know everything from like you'll work really hard to get two groups of people to finally like you know mutually trust and get excited about a project and then have it fall through and then you know you're just adding to the distrust of mm. that's already out there and you know um what's the distrust oh just like? like i mean even just like um simple things like like it's it's not like a systemic problem but, but you know just like of one person you know if, if a farmer needs a piece of equipment and they're like well if you like i need this piece of equipment and i'm willing to buy it because i've got that capex sitting on hand but you have to promise me that you're gonna buy for the next three years like this much <laughs> so that my business plan works out and everyone's excited and everyone's like oh okay we're gonna do it and then you know from the higher ups on the other side the product gets pulled and they're like oh sorry we have to back out like even if we're gonna get you know beat up on this contract a little bit but it's like then the farmer's stuck holding that sitting on that piece of equipment and yeah. they just took a huge loss and it's like 
it's like all understandable because you know somebody has to take that risk and that just adds so then it like it makes those farm farmers like like well i'm not gonna do that again that was really dumb um you know so it's like it creates a distrust between uh honestly like a distrust of of like change and a distrust of trying new things which is fair um what about trust of farming from from the public yeah um i think that about that in terms of you saying that farming needs a facelift yeah yeah that tells me that there's a problem and i feel that too right i guess i'm just curious from your perspective what is that problem right what do they see farming as right now and and how is that right and wrong mm-hmm I think they see farming as this like old system of that, that it's like archaic on some level and, and has no, um, I don't know the best way to put it, but, but yeah, it's like, it, it's, it's an archaic way of thinking and operating. Mm-hmm. And so like, uh, trying to think of a way where people can view that as the trade that it is and the skill and the amount of knowledge that's there and the amount of hard work that's there and the amount of, stress that's there um i mean they're ultimately a whole bunch of small business owners which i think is what this country is supposed to prize as like the most championed group um but it doesn't right now and that's a little sad so um so yeah i don't know i don't know exactly i mean i know i know how to like um or i i I have some ideas of how to potentially create that that facelift of of just two groups of people not really knowing each other is maybe what, what like the best way to describe it. And so they need to interface with each other too. Cause it's like nobody, uh, you know, the, it's the same problem of like the, de- the divisiveness that's going on is because people aren't sitting in a room talking. Right. And mm. it's like, you can often, you realize how similar people really are when you're sitting across from each other, sharing a meal or, or buying their product or, or anything else. And so that is, it, it's it's two groups of people that don't understand one another because most people if you grew up in a city you it, it is it's like going to another country going to linden sometimes you know and it, which it, not in a bad way like it's it's just very um different and and honestly i think a lot of seattleites would really enjoy their time there and a lot of lindenites would if they could get around the traffic would really enjoy the city <laughs> right like they're they're yeah they're two great groups of people and they need to understand one another and i mean for me food is all about bringing people together and it's about creating community and when you share delicious food pretty much all other things fall away and um and so when you have farmers producing fantastic food and needing to sell it to large amounts of people they are two groups of people that should get along very very well and there's just that middleman that's been um that's difficult you know so it's like I mean, the amount of money that people will pay for something at like a farmer's market can be astronomical because they're looking at someone in the face and they know how much work it was for them. And they were like, yeah, $12 for a gallon of milk? No problem. Like, yeah. I'll pay that. And and that just doesn't exist in the current system. And so not that I think all farmers should go to the farmer's market. Like, that's not a business model that will work for everyone either. Right. <laughs> like, it's right. still the 21st century and we have to operate accordingly. But But there's there's businesses that can that can be created to help bridge those gaps and tell those stories and um 
and move things forward in a different way. So. I feel like there's so much we could talk about here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and I'm, I'm just loving the things that you're saying because you're coming from this different perspective, but it resonates so much with my experience and the things that I've been seeing. Yeah. Um, and and I like the optimism yeah. too that you're bringing, not just talking about the problems, but you're so much more focused on the solutions. Yeah, it's all that really matters. Thank you for opening up about oh, your yeah. passion. <laughs> For all of this and of all the work that you're doing, really, you're kind of between two worlds. Yeah. And working to connect them. Yeah. Sounds like it's what, what you're all about. So I'm really excited to see what happens with your ventures. Yeah. And I'm pumped for when we can find out more specifics. Absolutely. And, and I, I, open door uh, for when you want to come back on the podcast I would and, love to. And, and tell us more about some of that stuff because I think you've got, got cool stuff ahead. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. Isn't Nell such an interesting person? Such a talented guy. And so crazy for me to meet somebody like that through this podcast who grew up in the same small farming town as I did. I uh, think my sister, if I remember right, was in high school cross country with his older brother. But seriously, that conversation we just heard was the first time that Nels and I had actually met in person. So as I listen back now to that conversation with Nels, I realize we didn't get very much out of him about how his new ventures to reconnect eaters with farms will actually work. But because of his passion for food and farming, and because he's obviously such a talented leader, I'm really excited to see what he does with that. I have a feeling we'll be talking with him again down the road. Make sure to subscribe to the Real Food, Real People podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and basically just about any other podcast platform you prefer to make sure you don't miss any future conversations with Nels and, of course, all of the other amazing conversations with farmers and people uh, behind the food that we eat here in the Pacific Northwest. Also, feel free to email me anytime with thoughts that you have on the show Whatever it is that you're thinking about, good, bad, otherwise, I, I'm all ears. Dylan at realfoodrealpeople.org is my email address. Dylan is D-I-L-L-O-N at realfoodrealpeople.org. The Real Food, Real People podcast is sponsored in part by Save Family Farming, giving a voice to Washington's farm families. Find them online at savefamilyfarming.org.